Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Natalie Pearson, and I'm also Curriculum Coordinator here at the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. In June and July this year, 2023, over the Australian winter intensive period, SIAC ran not one but five multidisciplinary field schools to Southeast Asia. Over six weeks, we took 88 students from 16 different disciplines to five different countries. Funded by the New Colombo Plan, these short-term mobility programs are our flagship offering for undergraduate students at the University of Sydney. Over the years, SIAC has taken hundreds of students to Southeast Asia to learn about issues that lend themselves to a multidisciplinary approach. We've looked at topics as diverse as urbanisation in Vietnam, women's empowerment in Indonesia, and water in Singapore. We try to make our field schools as multidisciplinary as possible, with at least three different faculties or schools represented on each field school. The Urbanisation Field School, for example, had students from urban planning, medicine, and development studies. These field schools have a powerful effect on students. They are challenging, demanding, and intensive. They are also immensely rewarding, giving students their first taste of what it is like to do collaborative research and think beyond their discipline. For many students, it is their first time in Southeast Asia. And even for those who have been to the region before, being a student researcher on a multidisciplinary field school is vastly different to visiting as a tourist. Many students continue their engagement with the region through employment, research, or simply through the friendships they made on the field school, both with other University of Sydney students and with local students in country. And there is always at least one student on a field school who has that completely transformational, eye-opening experience, where their goals and priorities shift and something seems to click for them. Suddenly, they have clarity about what they want to do and who they want to be. We're immensely proud of them, the field schools and the students. So we thought we'd share some of their brilliance through this special SEAC series on our five most recent field schools and the transformation that occurs when undergraduates are given the opportunity to work across disciplines and across cultures. So my name is Aaron Updike, and I'm a senior lecturer in humanitarian engineering at the University of Sydney. And I was responsible for leading our recent field school to the Philippines, which focused on disaster risk and resilience. And so here today, I'll ask each of them to introduce themselves. So Ali, maybe if you want to start by introducing who you are. Hi, I'm Molly. I'm from the Faculty of Arts. My major is in anthropology. We had a main focus doing researching solar power in Bacolod, which is a city in uh, Negros Occidental. And yeah, maybe I'll pass it on to Sophia. Hi guys, I'm Sophia. I'm a third year Bachelor of Design and Architecture student. And my group was comprised of two other architecture students and an anthropology student. So what we researched was the government-led resettlement housing and how resilient they were in multiple aspects. Hi, my name is Emily. I'm a second year PhD student in the School of Civil Engineering. My supervisor is Erin and I was one of the teaching assistants for the field school. I was responsible for the group that went to Tacloban. 
So just as an overview of the field school, so we had the fortune of spending about a week in Manila. And then after that, we had two different groups that split into Bacolod, which is in the province of Negros, as well as a second group of students that had the, the opportunity to work in the province of Leyte. So I'll pass it back and maybe start with Ollie. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about, so what, what did you work on, I guess, as part of the field school? So what was your experience like? From an anthropologist's perspective, we were working on solar power, which seems like the furthest thing from anthropology. But it was really eye-opening in the way that it found, well, it showed me that anthropology as a discipline can really mold to any sort of topic. So we were looking at solar power in a small resettlement site managed by Habitat for Humanity. And we found that a main issue that residents were experiencing there was a lack of power after, especially after things like typhoons and big storms. So from my perspective, I guess that's the only one I can talk about, but essentially we interviewed residents and saw a specific need and asked them about what sort of things they're using electricity for, when they don't have it, how that makes them feel, things like that. And that was really eye-opening for me to be able to actually go in and interview people and uh, practice some sort of ethnographic skills. One of the things that you mentioned, Ollie, is that, you know, we had the chance to work with Habitat for Humanity Philippines, which is a, an NGO that focuses on housing and also focuses on building more resilient communities. And so we had a lot of different projects that we had the opportunity to work on during the field school. So, Sophia, maybe you could talk a little bit about the project you worked on and, you know, was that different or what were you working on as part of that? Yeah, so the project that I worked on, as I said before, was government-led resettlement housing. So it was quite different from Ollie's experience with solar panels. So what we were investigating was, uh, I was in Tacloban in Leyte, and so we went to the site in Pastrana, the resettlement site was called Pastranaville, located in Barangay Aringit. And so we looked at how physically resilient the homes were, as well as how they contributed towards the household social resilience. So our research question was, what is a resilient home? The issues and opportunities facing the government-led resettlement housing at Pastranaville. So an issue that we came across quite early was defining what is a resilient home. Because as an architecture student, obviously, I think of resilience in a structural sense. How resilient is a home? It's four walls and a roof. How resilient is it to earthquakes and typhoons? But I guess this field school experience and being on site and talking to the residents also allowed me to understand that resilience is so much more than the physical resilience. It's also social and economical. Some of the things you talked about is picking up that, that broader perspective of what resilience is. You know, what were some of the motivations for applying for the field school beforehand? And, you know, how did that connect with maybe some of the experiences that you had? Honestly, applying for the field school, I just kind of stumbled across. It was just sent in an email, never been to the Philippines, never really traveled before. So why not? Regarding expectations, I really didn't know what to expect. I really just knew that it would be a very immersive experience. And a lot of my prior morals and values and perspectives on the world would definitely be challenged. And for sure, now that I'm back, it has definitely changed the way I view a lot of things. So I might toss it over to Emily, who was one of our tutors as part of the program. So Emily, you have a ton of experience actually having worked for years in the Philippines. What was it like tutoring for a field school in a location that you've worked in extensively, but maybe the first time that you were teaching? Yeah, so I think I first started in the Philippines probably 
around the same age as a lot of the students in the field school. I was around 21, I think, when I first went to the Philippines. And I remember having a lot of those similar emotions of I'd never been to the Philippines before. I was excited. I was nervous. I didn't know what to expect. And now a few years out from that, I feel like I've definitely gotten more comfortable, which is good. But I think that my emotions have kind of leveled off where, you know, I can sit in Manila traffic now for <laughs> for forever and just, you know, be fine with that, really unbothered. Mm. So it was really, really refreshing to go to the field school and see the Philippines through the eyes of the students again. And it was kind of like reliving that experience of my first visit in the Philippines of having all, all those emotions again, where, you know, flying into Tacloban, you know, trying to peek out the the window of the airplane to get the first view of the city or the water or that time before you have like your go-to foods, your favorite foods, and just kind of rotating through all the foods in the Philippines and trying to find like your favorites. So it was really a joy for me to live through that again with all the students. So I guess tossing it maybe over to Ollie. So one of the things that is very unique about the way in which SIAC runs the field schools is obviously the multidisciplinary aspect. Mm -hmm. So intentionally, we pair you up with students that are very different. So you're working with engineers, with architects. And so that you know is maybe different than other programs or other units of study that you've taken. So could you talk a little bit about that experience? So what was it like kind of getting thrown in the deep end with a bunch of other students from totally different worldviews, different perspectives and disciplines? It was definitely interesting. Definitely have never sort of dabbled in the realm of solar panels or actually our original topic was meant to be rainwater, but that's another matter entirely. So yeah, I was with two engineers, one civil engineer, one electrical engineer, and three engineers, one chemical engineer as well. So they seemed to all be a lot more across the subject matter than I was, which I thought was going to be an issue, to be honest, when I got put on the solar panel team. But I quickly realized that anthropology is in a very good position as a discipline to assist with multidisciplinary work. It's very much a mediator as a discipline because it kind of involves any process in which there is human activity or human sociality, which is everything. Most of the technical details definitely went right over my head, but in terms of actually engaging with people and trying to get into the heart of what the specific wants and needs of communities were, I thought I was in a good position to to assist with that while the engineers could maybe provide more of the technical oversights. In that sense, we kind of worked together well and formed a good little team in uh, in researching that specific problem, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about a little bit about the the problem that you were working on, which was looking at really the feasibility of, you know, solar and the ability to improve the resilience of different households. So, could you talk a little bit about, so what did your group find at the end of that? So, what were some of the recommendations um, or insights that, that you came up with? Well, I guess I should start with what we were going to research going into it. So, we had a idea of looking at rainwater harvesting in this community in Silai. And what we found on our first day, essentially, speaking to the residents there was that there was absolutely no need at all for rainwater harvesting. They kind of said it, they were a bit too polite to, to tell us, no, we don't need it exactly. But from what they were saying, they were kind of like, yeah, we already harvest our own rainwater. We don't want to drink it, etc." So we quickly had to kind of refocus ourselves to solar energy because it was much more clear there was a specific need for that. Overall, what we found was that energy 
was not equal in the community. There was one homeowners association with permanent access to the grid. The other two were only supplied temporary electricity, which was rerouted from a gun range nearby. But yeah, so these other two homeowners associations really lacked sufficient power to go about their day-to-day activities. There was talk of connecting them to the permanent grid, but even with the permanent grid, there was issues with big storms and, you know, all throughout the Philippines, they get brownouts. So those are just like temporary blackouts of, uh, of electricity that happen for an hour or so. There was definitely a need for solar panels as a way of providing electricity that is locally managed and resilient to storms and damaged infrastructure, which can take a long time, especially out in remote villages, like remote resettlement sites like this one was. It can take a while for the government to reach the power lines out there. So it was looking like a good option in terms of resilience. But unfortunately, what we found was that the price, especially for the wages that many of the residents were working with, was pretty much unfeasible for the majority of them. And kind of without assistance from governments or NGOs, it wasn't likely that solar panels were going to be uh, installed anytime soon. Yeah. To Sophia, I guess, maybe if you could talk about on your side. So what were some of the recommendations maybe that your group came up with at the end? Recommendations that my group came up with. So a little bit about the our findings as well. So we went to the site knowing we did a bit of research beforehand. We knew that a lot of the homes that had been planned to build, they hadn't been built. So they originally planned for about 960 homes. And just looking from Google Earth, clearly there were not 960 homes. And so we found out that there was about 200, like throughout interviews of the LGU, LGU officials and mayors, there's only about 200 homes built. And we later found that none of these residents were considered formal residents. So they hadn't been formally awarded their titles to their homes and so going on site this was really heartbreaking we found that no one had access to electricity no one had clean running water that was drinkable so really the conditions that they were living in were not very ideal however the residents they all seemed to be making the most out of it but our recommendations based on our findings realistically there wasn't much we could be recommending simply because of the corruption of the project. So the project had fallen through because of multiple subcontractors being hired and then the contractor just not agreeing with the finances. So everything fell through. So really, we didn't really have much grounds to be recommending anyone anything because it was much more a political issue rather than a like a technical issue. The recommendations that we did give were more so precautions such as job opportunities. So if they were to add another 700 homes in, that's a lot more people and that's a lot more jobs that would be required around the area. So it was stuff like that, job opportunities and also making the most out of the empty site at the moment. So a couple of the families were already planting their own veggie patches and then selling, cooking the vegetables, selling the vegetables as like another source of income. So we were recommending that more families do that. Perhaps the empty sites could be divided into allotments to promote this. But yeah, so most of our recommendations... They weren't really 
recommendations per se. So obviously, I think our field school had its fair share of challenges. And so if you think back to maybe some of those that you encountered, so could you talk through that? So what was it like, you know, stepping into a country that, you know, neither of you had been to? Maybe Ollie, if you want to start or either one of you and talk through some of those. So what, what sort of surprised you sort of in those challenges that you faced? And so that could be the easy stuff about just trying to get around. It could also be other things such as personal challenges that you might have faced. Well, me personally, I was lucky to have already traveled to a couple Southeast Asian countries before. So many of the challenges with arriving were quite similar. The heat, the humidity, the traffic, which is always insane. But yeah, specifically in the Philippines, what I found interesting was um, kind of how different, especially in Manila, how different specific areas of the city were. So you could go from one part of the city where all the houses are sort of corrugated iron and um, sort of temporary sort of settlements to another part of the city which looks more like Singapore with giant high-rise buildings, luscious green parks, things like that. So, yeah, that was really incredible, not in a particularly good way. The wealth disparity was pretty intense to deal with and there is a lot of poverty in the Philippines for sure. But, yeah, other than that, look, we did have quite a lot of hiccups throughout our time there. Illness, injury, to name a few. Yeah, for sure. This field school had a fair number of challenges. I think the largest one being COVID, which was honestly something I had not been prepared for at all. So prior to traveling to the Philippines, because it was my first time traveling, I was terrified about getting all the vaccinations in time and getting the documentation in order getting enough cash. I didn't know if ATMs were going to be accessible. I knew nothing about the Philippines or Southeast Asia in general. But yeah, so most of, I think for me at least, everything went pretty smoothly. Nothing too major occurred, but definitely COVID was one that I was not expecting. I had thought we'd reached the stage where we started to slowly forget about COVID. It felt like a past life, but no, it was very much an issue while we were traveling. Definitely affect group work as well, especially with the rooms in Tacloban. Some parts have like spottier service and Wi-Fi, so it was definitely difficult to talk to my team members, which at some point all of them were in isolation across different cities as well. So that was definitely a struggle. Other things that were unexpected, I was pleasantly surprised at the language barrier. I thought I would have to pick up much more Filipino and Tagalog while I was there, but I got around just fine with English, which I didn't really expect. So I guess maybe to Emily. So I think that certainly teaching these field schools is a tremendous opportunity. So I think that it's a real pleasure on our side to get to see the experiences that we can offer through it. You know, maybe if you could start by reflecting on maybe some of the highlights, I guess, in trying to teach and, and lead a program like this. Yeah, for me, one of the highlights was kind of similar to what Sophia was just mentioning about. We're going into these countries, and for us in Australia, COVID wasn't, it's in, kind of in the back of our mind, but we're going into the Philippines, and it's still a very real reality for a lot of people. So it really brings into the forefront the privilege that we have as people going into these countries. And for me, one of the things I most enjoyed about the field school was listening to the conversations of the students as they kind of grappled with these big questions of what does it mean to have this privilege going into these countries and what does it mean 
in the context of COVID, of going into these communities that are, are vulnerable, what does that mean for our interactions and what is the ethical thing to do in these situations? So for me, it was really interesting and insightful to hear the tension and just listening to the students grapple it out and be faced with these real world problems and just the really fruitful discussions that came from it. So for me, that was the most enjoyable part of the field school. So a big reason that the Philippines has such strict COVID rules is because their healthcare system just isn't really equipped to deal with massive influx of COVID patients. So they still have pretty strict isolation rules. That means probably half of our team in Bacolod had to isolate at one point or another. But it also just highlighted for me as an Australian how good the healthcare system here is and how quickly we've been able to get over and move past like a global pandemic, which you don't really realize until you go to a place like Philippines where it's still kind of ongoing. And like Emily said, many of the communities we visited are vulnerable. So that's another important consideration. You can't really be coming over with a sort of like colonizer mentality. I'm going to come and do research in your community and spread disease throughout. It's a bit problematic if you think about it in that way. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. So for maybe for both of you, I guess, what were some of the other highlights of the program? So Sophia, maybe if you have anything else to add to that. Oh yeah, there were definitely highlights. <laughs> this was definitely the trip of a lifetime. <laughs> I think one of my favorite memories was just taking the the tricycles around Tacloban. I know it's such a mundane thing and it's it comes from a very privileged point of view as well because I thought it was fun but for a lot of people it's their only mode of transport but I just thought it was so exciting to sit on a tricycle a motorized tricycle with a bunch of other students and see how many people you can squish in on one on one tricycle yeah so for our audience maybe that is not from the philippines so what is a tricycle so can you explain that (laughs) it's just a motorbike with like this makeshift metal like carriage next to it with a couple of wheels and that's it's a mode of transport, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> great. So I guess any other highlights that stood out from oh, for yeah. either of you? Um, honestly, there were too many to list off the top of my head. The food, I knew Filipino food was really good, but actually being there and experiencing the local cuisine was just surreal. And especially being with such a large group of students as well, I think that just made the experience better. Yeah, cuisine... The bars were really nice. We also went to the Tacloban crew, also went to the Sohoton Caves. That was definitely a highlight as well. I remember just, we were all just floating in this like kind of pool. I don't know what, how to describe it. We we're just floating all of us on our backs at some point. And then one of us said, we're probably not going to realize this in the moment, but once memory is over we're going to think back to this moment where we're all floating in the middle of some lake staring up at the sky and yeah for sure that was definitely one of the best memories <laughs> yeah talking to locals was really interesting everyone was so incredibly friendly and willing to chat probably because we were foreigners as well that probably played a part but definitely the people that we spoke to on the streets the shop owners there were some of the most valuable conversations that I had the entire trip. One cafe owner, her husband was the former mayor, so we interviewed him. And obviously everyone in the town had experienced the typhoon as well. So 
getting their take on the whole situation was very valuable. Yeah, similar to that. So my family is from Tacloban, and I had never asked my family that lives in Tacloban about their experience with Typhoon Yolanda before. It's a very traumatic experience, and it's not something that usually bring up. But because I was with the field school and it was on my mind when I was having dinner with my family, I asked them, so what was it like for you to go through this experience? So it was the first time I really heard from them what it was like to live through Yolanda and just the aftermath and the family in Manila not knowing about our family in Leyte or things like that. So it was really eye-opening for me as well to learn more about my family through this experience. So as a little bit of context, I guess, for the field school. So our projects were focused and were really centered in areas that were affected by Typhoon Haiyan, which happened in 2013 and hit the Philippines. And at the time, it was the, the strongest typhoon to ever make landfall. So locally, it's also known as Yolanda. So for both, I guess, Ali and Sophia, maybe if you could just take a minute to describe a little bit about that experience of being in these places that were affected by it. So could you talk a little bit about the context of the communities of, of where we were actually based for your projects and the impacts of Hayan or Yolanda? Well, yeah, we were doing research out of a resettlement site. So these were homes that had been built by Habitat for Humanity with funding from various other companies for the specific purpose of housing people who were at risk to natural disasters like typhoons. The the storm that got brought up the most in our conversations with people there was Odette. I don't know if that was something that was affecting people more so down in Negros Occidental. But yeah, it definitely seemed hard. Focusing on our specific topic of electricity, we heard stories of people who were without electricity for months on end. And you, of course, realize how much of your life revolves around electricity, but you don't actually contemplate that until you're completely removed from it. They couldn't contact family members. They couldn't wash their clothes. They couldn't cook. They couldn't do various things. And that reality is very tough to live in. And I don't really know if there's anyone in Australia or in Western countries who really ever experienced things like that. It puts into perspective just uh, how lucky you are to be in a country like Australia and how vulnerable countries like the Philippines are to these things and the need to sort of reach out and, I don't know, I want to say provide assistance, but do what we can, help each other in a sort of global community. Yep. I think the main thing that struck me, adding on from what Ollie said, was the families that relocated a lot of the, near the place we were staying, it was quite close to the seawall. So there were a lot of families that had met, built these makeshift homes, probably informally, next to the seawall. Yeah, so just talking to the residents, it was really interesting to hear how the typhoon affect the way of their life. A lot of people had to relocate because of it. Also, just chatting to the residents over there, how underprepared they all were for the typhoon. I think a lot of them made it sound like they were just expecting another another storm. You know, there wasn't anything out of the blue. So a lot of them were quite underprepared for how severe the typhoon was going to be. And I think that definitely played a huge part in the devastations that followed. 
So I guess trying to maybe pull it back out a little bit and reflecting on your experience. So maybe you take a moment just to think about some of the things that you took away from the field school. So that could be you know personal things or personal ways that you've developed. It could be also learning to apply your skills. So I guess what were some of the things that maybe stood out to you that you gained as you know participating in the field school? For me, I've never really been able to do firsthand research, primary research. So that was really an amazing opportunity for me as someone trying to get into anthropology as a potential career in the future to actually go out there and practice some semi-ethnographic skills was pretty incredible and to actually do it in a community where you know potentially ethnographies would be happening it honestly felt like a bit of a dream which was it felt like I was in some kind of documentary or, or something like that, which is a bit rose-tinted glasses, but that's just um, the feelings I was going through. But yeah, it was amazing. And honestly, I think I've learned more about actually speaking to people about things in a sort of academic context in three days over in that resettlement site than I have in my entire undergraduate degree, which is unfortunate, but um, but true. But yeah, it was honestly really, really amazing for that reason. Yeah. I can definitely back what Ollie said. Definitely learned a lot over those two and a half weeks compared to my bachelor degree. Yeah, it was mostly the privilege that I've experienced, but also seeing how people make the most out of their situations. I guess what struck me the most was how resilient the Filipinos are. I guess their culture, it's embedded into their culture. They definitely make the most of what seems like hardship to me. But they all seemed so happy to be there and small interactions they really took for granted, like the school kids around the site, like running up to us and screaming at us. It was just the most adorable thing. Personally, it definitely changed the entire way I viewed the world. Professionally, it put my degree and my architecture into perspective. I think architecture over here is considered, it's perceived to be a very prestigious field. It is perceived to be quite elitist and in some ways it can be toxic in that sense. Now that I'm back from the field school, it really has put that into perspective. Architecture is so much more than building pretty homes for the rich people. It is also about creating a sense of community and helping people who don't have a lot, making the most out of their situation. I guess it also helped me to realize that what I'm learning in uni, I always perceive to be too conceptual, not technical enough. But that's because what I'm learning now is it can be applied to so many different disciplines and industries in the future. I guess uni, what I'm learning in uni now is also challenging what is currently in the industry. So in uni, we're doing a lot more social housing projects at the moment. And I really hope that that takes off in the future because it's definitely a field that needs to be expanded in the built environment. I guess we can just turn that question back on to Aaron. What, I'm sure you had a lot of new experiences, even though you've had many years working in the Philippines as well. So what are some of the 
professional or personal insights that you've gotten from this trip? Yeah. So I think on my side, some of the things and the reason I really went into a career in research is the ability and every time you have a conversation with someone, you learn a little bit more about the topic that you're studying. And so in my area, looking at disasters and disaster risk, I think through the field school and the really broad range of research projects that we had to engage with, you know, I think in each of those, I learned a little bit more about the communities and sort of the challenges that they face. And so I had just a small opportunity to tack on to some of those interviews to tack on to some of the projects to see those experiences. And so I think that that was a really valuable learning experience for myself. But I think it's also the relationships that you get to you know build with students and you understand a little bit more about the challenges that, that you guys are facing and ways, I think, as educators that we can build better programs. And so I think it's a really unique opportunity to lead these types of programs, to step outside the classroom, to really get to understand problems in the real world and in our region. And so I think that in that respect, it's really been a, a fantastic opportunity. So I guess to maybe close, if you had to give one piece of advice to someone who is stepping and embarking on a, a mobility or a field school experience, what would that piece of advice be? I guess just go in with an open mind. Don't turn down any opportunities. I think talk to locals. I think that's the main one. Experience or that the country has to offer. Yeah, totally agree. And also just things are going to go wrong. We know that very well from our field school, but we kept rolling and with help from our very helpful field guides we we got through. Yeah, it still turned out to be an amazing experience, probably because of those problems as much as in spite of them. I guess as part of your projects, that multidisciplinary angle. So maybe if each of you could take a moment to reflect. So, you know, what did you gain by that? So what new insights maybe did you uncover that you felt were different and beyond what you could have just accomplished? Your own perspective, your own discipline. I think for me, sometimes fields like engineering and architecture can feel very technical, very matter of fact, and very, this is how we're going to do things and this is how it's done. But collaborating and interacting with people from other other disciplines like engineering, we could kind of come to an understanding that the technical stuff definitely matters. And from my perspective, the human stuff definitely matters, but somewhere in the middle, we can combine those two things and create really amazing technical solutions that also incorporate the human element, which I thought was pretty amazing. So as I said before, my group was three architecture students and one anthropology student. The advantage of the anthropology student, I suppose, he had a very grassroots approach, much more just these small conversations with anyone that comes across our paths, talking to these people and observing what they say and how they interact. Yeah, I guess what I also learned was that architecture school has really trained everyone to think in a particular way. So it was very refreshing having this anthropology student provide a very different perspective on the project. So on my side, I think it's really interesting seeing the progression that you guys have actually gone through because I think you started out the field school really angry and frustrated in your group, just couldn't get along. And some of that was the disciplinary perspectives and trying to grapple with that. Um, but I think, you know, as you progressed, there were sort of these aha moments where you started to see the connection or the value across those different groups. And I think that really showed in a lot of the outputs or the deliverables that, that you guys came up with at the end of the field school. So I think that was really fantastic to see sort of that development progression. 
Um, so I just wanted to thank both of you for spending some time today to share your insights and some of the things that you've gained as part of the, the field school. It was a, a great opportunity getting to have you along for the rides. And it, it certainly was a ride, I would say, uh, in the Philippines. So thanks again for, for joining us today. Um, and I really appreciate all the insights that you've shared.